and welcome back to Bourbon Barrel Talk. I'm your host, Scott Minton. Today, we have in the room with us uh, Matt Jasnoff as a co-host. Hey, guys. Toby Hatfield on uh, sound. And then uh, we are sitting here live with Brandon O'Daniel from Copper and Kings Distillery. How are you doing today, Brandon? Hey, guys. Welcome. Doing absolutely fantastic. Thanks great. for having me. Great, great. Thanks for coming on. So, hey, uh, we took a tour of the facility. It's pretty cool. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite parts immediately was when we, when we went down to the basement and you all had the, the subwoofers going, playing the 90s hip-hop to uh, infuse the, I guess, the liquid into the barrel type thing. We're always blasting a little music downstairs. We like that sonic aging. Keeps things hopping. Nothing sits still. No pun intended? No pun intended, no. I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, if you don't mind, Brandon, t- tell us how you got here. Uh, sure. So I am a Kentucky boy, born and raised from Jessamine County, right outside of uh, Lexington there. Family's been in the wine business since uh, since the 80s. Uh, grandfather and great-grandfather kind of did the prohibition thing and the bootleg thing and all that stuff. Um, but I really got interested into grapes uh, really coming out of college. Uh, my cousin had just moved up and was starting a vineyard consulting firm. I was getting ready to go out to California and do that greenhouse thing. Um, and really, I needed a, a summer project, so I was like, well, I'll go out to, you know, out there for a week and I'll blow it off and just write a paper and be done. Uh, so I went out there and just kind of honestly just fell back in love with the grapevine um, from remember my childhood days walking through the vineyard with my grandfather. Um, so I decided to stay. I went back to the University of Kentucky and took a job as a, their vineyard manager, and I planted a lot of experimental varieties around the state and kind of saw what would and wouldn't grow. Um, and then at that point, I took a winemaking position at Elk Creek Vineyards there in Owenton, and I was the winemaker and the vineyard manager for them for about five years. Um, at that point, uh, Joe and Leslie Heron, who own Copper and Kings, uh, they had moved down and were going to open up Copper and Kings. Um, and at that point, they were looking to really still distill a bunch of American varieties of grapes. And I was probably making more American um, varieties of wine than just about anybody um, here in Kentucky, at least, and really probably the eastern United States at the moment. So we kind of hit it off. I was doing some contract stuff for them. Um, Those grapes didn't really work out the way that we thought they would. um, But when they were ready to open the doors, they asked if I'd come up and interview. And then at the time, I I walked in and saw the three copper pots that were sitting there. And I was still skinny enough to fit in the tanks to clean them. And they offered me the job. And uh, here I sit. Well, that's really neat. Uh, it, it's odd that you you started from a wine background because um, when we when I first got into this and was started the podcast, I always just figured master distillers were master distillers. But what I've kind of found is that when you find somebody that does distilling and whether you call yourself a master distiller or not, a lot of the ones that are really good at what they do were either a winemaker or a brewer or things like that. Jay Earsman from New Riff had kind of brought up the fact that they went and found the best brewer they could because you can you can learn how to distill but to be able to get the really good flavors out of things is when you start with that that first process the brewing and the fermentation or the growing of the grapes or, or the fruit whatever it is that's really where the artistic side is that's the hard part you know the distillation we're just kind of condensing it you know and separating things on that there's a little bit of art to it but you know it's not it's not the hardest part of the process. I absolutely love it. Don't get me wrong. Um, that being said, I do miss those early mornings walking through the vineyard and you know looking at the crop every day. But yeah, starting in you know in the winemaking process and really learning how to grow the grapes and I make beer at the house a little bit as well. It's really allowed me to kind of be free enough to be adventurous and like take those those extra steps. Either whether it be with botanicals or, or different gins or whatever it may be, I'm not necessarily afraid to, to fail or whatever it may be. 
So here on Bourbon Barrel Talk, obviously we talk a lot about bourbon. Um, and Copper and Kings, that's not necessarily your specialty. So tell us what makes Copper and Kings special. So we are a fruit brandy company, and really even more uh, specifically, we are an American fruit brandy company. Um, we pick uh, mainly grapes and apples. Our grapes come out of Fresno. Um, we do a Chenin Blanc, a French Colombard, and a Moscato Alexander. And then we go up to Michigan and we pick 15 to 18 varieties of culinary apples. Um, so really in the United States, uh, we grow a tremendous amount of apples apples, but 90% of them are destined for the table. Um, when I say for the table, that means they're really high in sugar and very low in acid. They taste delicious, but when you go to ferment those fruits, um, they make a very lackluster, flabby spirit. Um, that's why we choose so many different types of apples out of Michigan, all the culinary variety, sharp and semi-sharp, and then we blend those together. What that basically allows us to do is make the quantity that I want at a price point that we can afford. Um, but yeah, super interesting process. How long did it take you to kind of find the right places to go pick these fruits from? I assume it's a lot of trial and it error. It was a lot of trial and error. The grapes weren't really, you know, so difficult, you know, because we are an American company, we want to have American fruit. Uh, California, especially the Central Valley, is the only place, A, I'm going to find these varieties of grapes, B, at the quantity that I want, and C, at the price point. Yeah. Um, you know, we could go to Latin America and do things like that, but, you know, we'd like to stay as American fruit for as possible. Uh, the apples, that was a little bit more of a trial and error thing. Um, again, apples are really, really expensive. Um, it is nice that we can keep them in cold storage. So I'm able to kind of work with them a little bit longer. Um, grapes, I can only kind of store for about two weeks at most. And really, even then, we start to get dicey. But yeah, long story short, I had a lot more questions <laughs> than answers. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of trial and tribulations. And you know, that's yeah. the kind of the cool thing about uh, barrel aged spirit is whether, you know, if it doesn't quite come off uh, correctly off the pot, you can throw it in the barrel and hopefully that kind of straightens things out a little bit. I was going to say, you. You had a recipe that you mentioned earlier that, that you got from somewhere else. Um, how many of those recipes were something that you worked off from the beginning, and how much of what you have currently out here is something as more of your creation? Well, kind of the way that I like to, to approach a lot of these spirits. Now, you know, brandy's been around forever, and nobody's really been doing anything interesting with it in eons. Um, that being said, you know, before Prohibition um, and really before, you know, the Americas got started, brandy was king. Um, so if you kind of go look back in a lot of these history books from the 1800s, 1700s, there's a lot of generalized formulas and a lot of different approaches. Uh, so I spend a lot of my time flipping through those old style books. Um, I'll get a good gist of, you know, how I think it should be made. Um, and then we'll kind of throw our Copper and King spin on it. Um, some of our stuff comes out of the middle of nowhere, um, and some of our stuff is very steeped in tradition. Now that you had a pear brandy not too long ago, if I recall that, the 10-year-old pear brandy. We that, did, yeah. We, that the, seemed to come out of the middle of nowhere. Yes. It was so good. <laughs> Probably one of the most true-the-fruit brandies I have ever had. You could almost taste the grit when you when you drank that. Uh, that came out of a, a small distillery that was a mom-and-pop place. They were retiring. Um, he'd had it sitting there, and it was a state grown. It was like eight barrels that we bought and brought it back. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, the day that I can make a pair that tastes that nice is the day that I've really become a distiller. <laughs> now, now I got to ask something. You know, you all started this Copper and Kings distillery here. It's not a bourbon distillery. You know, what was your first thought when they approached you and they're like, hey, we want to start a distillery here in the heart of Kentucky, but, but wait a second, it's not going to be bourbon. We want to do something different. 
you know, kind of walk me through your thought process on that, where why you jumped on it and so forth. You know, first note, of course, that sounds absolutely nuts. I mean, let's be honest. Um, but that being said, in this business, if you're not kind of sticking out and you're not doing something different, you're going to get swallowed up. I mean, there's 1,800 new craft distilleries that have come online here in just the last year or so. And then shelf space in these liquor stores is super tight. I mean, nobody walks into a liquor store and sees an empty shelf. Um, so the more I thought about it, the more comfortable I got with it. Um, you know, I have that horticulture background, so I could take the grapevine and I could turn it into wine and I could, I could do all that stuff. Um, distilling a brandy was really kind of the icing on my resume that I wanted. Um, and then really it was just a challenge. Yeah. Um, whether it was going to work or not, I was just pumped just to kind of get my hands on those punts. I think you all have done an amazing job so far. Thank you. I, mean, I appreciate that. I love all your that. products. And they stand out on the shelves, too. They you do. Know? They definitely pop. You know, when you walk in the liquor store and you're like, oh, yeah, Copper and That's King. Copper and yeah, Kings. That's what it's about. <laughs> uh, we have a fantastic art design team. It's all in-house. Uh, Ron Jason leads that one absolutely fantastic artist um he's definitely helping us sell bottle one uh it's my job to make sure we sell bottle two you know i i look back at you know the history of you know liqueur and and liquor and bourbon and things to that nature and a lot of it is deep rooted in in the brandy process a lot of those brandy uh, makers from germany and and uh the middle of you know europe and switzerland places like that you know do you bring a, a flair of that to Copper and Kings, do you feel like? Or have you studied a big piece on that? I have, 100%. I consider myself a, at least an alcohol historian and a traditionalist. Um, you know, my family has a German heritage. You know, that's where they all came back from or started from. You know, they were small-time farm distillers. Um, absolutely fascinated. You know, it basically was what turned Kentucky into a state, um, at least unofficially. You know, and then really when we really started putting, uh, you know, whiskey in barrels uh, to begin with, it was really trying to uh, duplicate that brandy taste and that, that brandy color and flavoring. Um, so you'd be foolish not to kind of give a little bit of homage to the, to the beginners. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, I, we had spoke with one distiller and he kind of has that Arkham Razors type mentality as far as how things come by necessity. and. You know, back in the old days, that's how bourbon was kind of invented. They figured, you know, those they send up pickles or fish from barrels from from New Orleans up to Louisville, and then they'd come down to where bourbon country was, and then they would refill it with, you know, distilled liquors. But what they did to get the, the smell or the flavor out of it, they charred the barrel, and then they would then in, put their liquor in it. And by the time it got back to New Orleans, that's why they called it bourbon, because it came from Bourbon County, Kentucky. Fantastic mistake. You know, it, that's what's really kind of fueled this whole alcohol industry is people not knowing what's going on, but, you know, let's make it happen. Let's make it happen out of necessity. So so one of the other cool things we we walked around um, in, in the I guess the, the Rick House slash warehouse in the basement um, is the neat things you're doing with whether it be uh, Sierra Nevada or Peerless or other you know microbreweries or distilleries in the area tell us what brought you to that process so basically because we're not making brandy in europe and we're not making bourbon in the united states the ttb has allowed us to uh, get a little bit deeper into the used barrel market um, that used barrel is going to give me 50 65 for 65 percent of my overall taste profile uh, which has allowed us to take the same grape distillate and the same apple distillate put them in two different barrels and our alcohol lexicon grows basically 
based on our barrel management. So when you go down into our cellar here at Copper and Kings and you, you kind of do the panoramic view, there's barrels painted of all different types of colors. Some of them you recognize from different companies uh, like Elysian, um, Against the Grain. Um, and that's basically, we're just doing collaborations. Uh, we will send them brandy barrels that we have just dumped. They'll send us beer, whiskey barrels, or whatever it may be um, that they've just dumped. Uh, they'll make a, a product in our barrel, we'll make a product in their barrel, and then we'll do a little cross-collaboration on the label. It's a great way to um, tap into new customers um, and kind of really showcase what Brandy can and can't do. So has there been one of those partnerships that's really stuck out to you as far as like a favorite one that you've had? Like we all have like a favorite kid, I guess I would say. <laughs> yeah, Whether we like to admit which, it or which, not. Which one is it? Listen, I'm not I'm going down that rabbit hole right now. Yeah, but. I'm not going to say that one either. Mine are probably listening to this one day. Um, it, yeah, uh, there is one that kind of sticks out. So Sierra Nevada did a chocolate cherry stout. Um, and it was a, a very small release. Um, I don't even think I, I saw the product here on, on the shelves in the East Coast. Um, and they sent us four barrels. Um, some of the most smelling, cho most chocolatey, most cherry um, aromas coming out of that barrel I've ever noticed. Uh, we did three with a great brandy in it and absolute delicious finish. And then we did one um, with a gin. And that was probably one of my favorite products ever, actually. Do you still have any? No, I don't have any more of that. Sorry. That one's gone, guys. Sorry. I, I so, like I like chocolate and I like cherry, so I could see where that would be fantastic. fantastic. Now, the actual one thing we did past all that was when that barrel was empty, we actually took them to Kelvin Cooperage and we got those guys to chop them up, and then they used those barrels to fire and toast some 60-gallon New American Oak barrels that we had, and we called that our Craftwork series. Uh, or our Phoenix series, um, absolutely delicious beer as Phoenix well. Series. The Phoenix series was super cool. I got one bottle of it, and it was it was incredible. Very very different for just literally just uh, toasting and charring these barrels. The amount of tones that came over from the existing barrel, absolutely fascinating. It was really different. Yeah, it was very very cool. Well, you got to figure that would that would happen in some capacity because of the the fact that the fire would pull that kind of opens everything up. up. Yep, imparts those flavors. Really cool process. So in, in regards, going back to that Phoenix series, you know, it's almost like a, a private pick almost because I know, uh, I think a couple of local places had done that with you. Yeah, we've not released it any, you know, as far as the overall market, they've all been single barrels. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, let's say somebody wanted to, to get in here and pick out a single barrel with you. What's that process like, you know, because you have so many different varieties and options. We do. Uh, the way I usually like it to do it is, is um, I like them to come down to the distillery if at all possible. Uh, we'll go down in the cellar. I'll usually have three or four already pulled. Um, I try to do a little bit of research on the person coming down and see, you know, if they're a, a bourbon forward bar or a sherry forward bar, whatever it may be, um, and kind of at least start the conversation that way and then you know kind of once you get down to the cellar it's kind of everybody turns into kids in the in the candy shop and we kind of look around and we bring the drill out and we'll spile some barrels and really we just kind of start that conversation um, and then from that point you know they'll pick one or two and then um, they usually leave and I'll do a, a cast strength and then we'll drop it down 10 or 15 points and do a little bit of back and forth through the mail until everybody's satisfied um, and then at that point it goes to our art design team and they'll make up a cool label and uh, then we get it bottled. Yeah. So do you only do brandy then for single barrel picks basically? Everything's fruit based. Yes. Okay. Uh, we do have some apples and some grapes okay. available. And then we do also do, I've got a couple of single barrel gins downstairs for sale. Um, and then if you're really, really nice, we'll do a, a cast strength liqueur for you before we sweeten it. If, if the, the price I, is I right. think we're done here. We're going to go downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> what about absinthe? Is that something that somebody could buy? 
Yes, most definitely. So okay. I love messing with absence. It is a very, very, very fun spirit to talk about, to, to read about, and to make. Um, I wish we were drinking more absinthe as an American uh, public. I feel like that's going to expand and expand. Um, but yes, we've got some really cool absinthe finishes downstairs. I've got an absinthe that's been in a sherry barrel and an absinthe that's been in a port barrel. Uh, we're going to release mm. those as a, a series for uh, Mr. and Mrs. Ridiculous. Uh, that should be coming out relatively <laughs> soon. Uh, we also do a barrel-aged absinthe uh, that's on our, our regular tasting line that is absolutely superb. Um, I'm not going to say my absinthe is the best in the world, uh, but I will set my absinthe against any other commercially absinthe I've had so far. Yeah, so we'll I put thought it that the absinthe way. that we tried in, in the tasting lounge was really, really good. Um, and the funny thing is I, I never thought I would like absinthe just as a general rule. I had it when I was over in Europe. And then um, when I came to the States, I, I had a couple of other varieties, but because I don't really like licorice. But man, I tell you, just the mildness of the licorice. It's not that crazy hard bite that most licorice has. And the absinthe just really, really just as smooth. And Thank yours you. was a great product. Thank you. Uh, there's 15 herbs and botanicals in our absinthe. Um, I like to, you know, the anise and the licorice are definitely going to be, you know, the most forward. Um, but I do like our absinthe because, you know, you get a little bit of citrus in there. You kind of pick up some of the fennel and the hyssop. Um, I feel it's a, a very well-balanced absinthe. And then you pull in the barrel-aged um, out, and it's even, a, even more well-balanced because it's had a little bit more time to kind of knock off some of that anise. So how many barrels do you have downstairs that the owners don't know about that you put aside and said, this one's mine, but <laughs> off the record, there's, you know, there's probably a honey barrel, one or two down there that has a couple of extra taps in it. You know, um, the TTB is definitely watching us, of course, for taxes and things like that. But there's nothing better than going down on a Friday afternoon, uh, you know, when nobody else is around and getting into some cool barrels you haven't got into for a sure. while. Um, it's probably one of the favorite parts of the job. So at what point do you feel like you need to get into barrels to make sure that they're doing the right thing and, and they're doing what you want it to do? Is it like four or six months later or is it? It kind of really depends upon what it is. Um, you know, for a single barrel variety, I'm not going to release anything that, that's younger than a year, like a gin or something along that nature. Um, for all of our traditional longer age spirits, I like to tap into it the first year at the four month mark, the six month mark and the eight month mark. Um, after that, we usually go to about once a year that I'll kind of get into them. Cool, cool, cool. So what's the, what's the oldest aged product that you have currently? Uh, so I have some uh, great brandy downstairs that we purchased uh, that is an average age of about 14 years old right wow. now. Um, and then we are stuff that is coming out now in our traditional American craft grape. Um, it's five years, eight months today, actually. Um, and that's 100% us. Uh, so a lot of our stuff that you're seeing on the, the market is 100% distilled here in Louisville. Um, but that being said, when we opened up the business, we wanted to have some brown age spirits. Um, so we went out and we tasted um, as many brandies as we possibly could. They all had to be copper distilled. They all had to be 100% fruit. Um, I think we ended up going to, I think, 10 states, 12 different distilleries. We ended up pulling them out, all mom and pops. Uh, the biggest one was like 22 barrels. The smallest one was like a half barrel. Uh, we brought oh, wow. all of them back. Um, I tasted each barrel. I blended them together to the specs that I liked, and then we rebarreled them in fresh one-use bourbon barrels, all from in-state distilleries. It's a 14-year-old grape brandy. Absolutely fantastic. It is so good. Yeah. So what, what's the? <laughs> Y'all don't find me later. 
What, what's the uh, plan for that? Uh, so we just released a little bit of that um, in our A Song For You, uh, which was our five-year anniversary. Um, I've got a few barrels just kind of sitting back. Every now and then I'll pull a little bit out to kind of do a little bit of blending in our traditional craft grape just to make sure that, you know, it is where I want it to be. And then, you know, every now and then maybe a, a plank uh, goes up into the office as well. <laughs> hmm. But eventually we'll release it in something small and cool and we'll throw another anniversary party or something along that nature. So in the, um, the gift shop or whatever, when we first walked mm-hmm. in, there was uh, a, uh, a bourbon in there that was a Barstown Bourbon Company finished by... Is that something that you, you will do again, or is that was that just a one-off? Nope. So that was the very first one, uh, was our collaboration. Uh, that was a split uh, between a, a 10-year-old uh, whiskey into a Mistel barrel or a Pinot barrel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pinot was a fortified grape juice, by the way. Um, and then we've also done another series with them, which was an apple barrel finished. Um, and then hopefully they will release a Curacao barrel finished as well. Wow. Okay. Um, but because we're doing so many interesting things with single barrels, and I personally find that there's a lot more life left in those barrels, even once I'm done with them, um, we're all about these single barrel finishes and these collaborations between some of these other distilleries. Uh, Barstown Bourbon Company is a fantastic company to work for. We love those guys. Um, one of the most fascinating distilleries that I've been to here in the state. Uh, so anytime they're willing to, to mess with uh, Little Old Us, we are more than willing to, to do the same. They've got a cool vault down there too. Oh, no, I know. Right it's away. amazing. Some of their old whiskeys and bourbons, it's, oh, it's classic. Right. It, you know, and there's just so many good distilleries out there these days though i mean you know have you looked or reached out to you know other people to try to form some kind of partnership with them or all the time um you know i've got barrels down there from few spirits um i've got some barrels down there um casanoble uh, high west um who else are we doing i've got some elysian barrels down there we've got some barrel collaborations with wilderness trail um we're trying to really reach out to as many people um that we like um as possible i mean that's really the only caveat though we have to uh, we have to appreciate what they do and the spirit that they make or the product that they make and as long as we like it um that's really the only requirement right so is uh <clears throat> sorry about that is there any anybody that is out there on on your list that you've been reaching out to that you've not had the luck of getting or, or talk to yet whether it be like a, somebody like a blonde brothers or oh man you're kind of putting me on the spot a little bit uh, <laughs> <laughs> i don't necessarily want to drop any names from okay. anybody that, that i've not done not done business okay. with yet That's fine. um but yeah there's definitely a list of, of people you know i've got a, a huge list of heroes um you know and eventually i'd like to, to work with most if not all of them um but yeah, we'll see that's fair enough it was worth a try yeah, right? yeah, i understand i, mean? I understand because sometimes it's just one of the things that you've just not been able to work out either a price or it might be you haven't worked out xyz so uh, you just never know in those situations and and when you start seeing these collaborations whether it be you know with you and the elysium or you and whoever you have to come to a common agreement right so that's 100 yeah and that that's really where things kind of get a little tricky because you know nobody wants to hand over the rights to their label and then have somebody else kind of butcher it um that's kind of really why we make sure that anybody that we do collaborate with we we respect very highly um and we're kind of looking to tag on with them as much as anything else right now you guys technically have a parent company correct 
Uh, so Constellation does own a small percentage of us, though. Um, but really, it's a, for the most part a mom and pop operation. Yeah. Joe and Leslie Heron, um, they are the controlling uh, factors on the board. Uh, this is their third uh, business, beverage business. Yeah, they did a, a, <laughs> a, a nutritional soda out in California. Out in California, um, then they did a Crispin Hard Cider, yep. and now hmm. we're in the brandy business. So I. That um, and the only reason why I bring up that the parent company a little bit is because I feel like that would have to help if anything with your collaborations. It really has. I mean, Casanoble is is a great uh, example of that. We would have never been able to get those tequila barrels without yeah. reaching out to Constellation. Um, we've also got some wine collaborations with them as well. Um, but yeah, the resources that that company provides has been absolutely fantastic. And then they've, you know, we do they do come in. We do have the quarterly meeting. Um, but the decisions are very much left up to uh, Copper and Kings as far as the style we want to yeah. go in and the overall taste profile. Um, they're just really excited to have a, a brandy company in the portfolio, I think. Yeah, and I think that's awesome that you know they're able to help just kind of put the pieces of the yeah. puzzle together so much. Really it's, open the door. It's got to be awesome. Yeah, it's made a huge difference. I know you, with having a huge horticultural background, things like that, and, and one of the conversations we had when we were downstairs was the fact that, you know, one thing with us especially we respect the grain whether it's corn the wood you know things like that um, and then obviously you know we, we love fruit and, and and that's one of the reasons we want to come over here after trying you know some of your products and we wanted to get in front of you tell us a little bit about that piece of it you know being a horticultural background you know are there any neat things that you'd like to try or work with people to you know be able to basically keep more wood or more you know options available as far as being able to distill or 100 percent 100 um as far as the botanicals go um i would love eventually to be able to maybe do some small plots or some some collaborations with the botanical gardens here in louisville um you know we have some very interesting botanicals and not all of them are being are able to grow in this part of the world um, but i would like to see as many locally grown botanicals as possible um, some of the barrel coopers around here, um, Kelvin is a great example. Um, they'll do really weird one-off barrels for us, either alternating staves or, or wine heads or whatever it may be, different chars. Um, everybody in the area has been very, very open and willing to, to kind of work with us. Um, and that's been one of the, the fun parts about not doing bourbon in Kentucky. Um, you know, because we're not necessarily competing with, with everyone else, um, they're a little more open to their secrets and to kind of allow us to kind of come into the fold and the family. Um, been a fantastic experience. I can't say enough good things about our, our distilling and our, um, our product neighbors that have provided us with our supplies. One of the things that ex has exploded over the last four or five years is downtown Louisville here. Um, there's, there's a distillery after distillery, tour after tour. Um, what kind of things do you think you do on the tour here that would make somebody, instead of, besides the, the fact that it's, it, most of those are bourbon and this is brandy, um, what's unique about the tour here that would want to drive people in here to, to see what's going on? Well, you know, we are brandy um, instead of bourbon, so the taste profile is going to be a little different. Um, we use used barrels, so, you know, the cellar is a little more colorful. Um, but really one of kind of the main things that kind of makes us stand out a little bit, we are very musically influenced. Uh, we are sonically aging all of our spirits. Um, we are blasting music to these barrels 24-7 to the point you can pop that bung and, and see that brandy pulsate in there. Um, we're, we just kind of march to a, a different drummer in general. Um, we're not so much about uh, 
coloring inside the lines as we are coloring outside the lines and drawing our own picture. Um, we're very environmentally conscious. Um, we use a lot of used uh, um, storage containers for our um, our guest services and things on that nature. Um, we're just not your average bourbon distillery. We use pot stills and we're just a little different. So where did the name Copper and Kings come from? <laughs> uh, so that's a really good question. That, that one's up to uh, Joe and Leslie, the owners. Um, you know, all our pots are 100% copper, um, you know, and then also brandy back in the day was king, so we kind of went with that. Uh, it's also rumored that the, uh, the boss's wife is a huge King of Leon fan, King of Leon's fan, uh, so I think the name kind of came from that as well. <laughs> hey, whatever gets your inspiration. Exactly, exactly. So one of the other things that, that I, I found really neat from the other distillery tours that we've done and um, the other conversations we've had with other people is the fact that all you guys name your 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 stills. We do, yes. So if you could walk me through that a little bit. You said the youngest one was uh, Sarah or something like yep. that. So we have four pots at the moment. We have a 50-gallon pot. Her name is Sarah. We have a 750-gallon pot. Her name is Magdalena. We have a 1,000-gallon pot. Her name is Isis. And then we just put in a 2,000-gallon pot this last summer. Her name is Rose Marie. Um, all those pots are named after women in Bob Dylan songs. Um, most of them are off of... Um, blood on the tracks um, and really just because you know the pot still it's not like a column still where you kind of can set it and kind of walk away a little bit you know that pot still is very hands-on I'm always touching it um, I'm always changing the temperature cracking the window tasting the spirit whatever it may be um, so I kind of felt I spend more time with these pots than with the wife um, it seemed a little uh, jaded not to have nice names for them so uh, Makes it easier to kind of cuddle up with them, yeah. you know, in yeah, the cold you, morning. You, you can't set it and forget it on a, on a, on a pot still. You cannot, no. Everything is constantly changing. I'm tasting off these pots 15 to 20 minutes. I'm walking past them and checking my, my temperature and my proof every five. Um, it, it's very, very much hands-on. We so, make alcohol as hard as you possibly can. So can you tell our, 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 our fans and, and your fans soon to be, you know, after they find a little bit more about you guys, <laughs> um, what makes a pot still so much different than a column still? I know the barometric pressures and all those type of things cause issues with those, but... They do. The moon you know, cycle uh, changes that as well. But, I mean, the really the, the main difference between a pot and a column still, um, most column stills are continuous, and then they're actually going to be able to clean up some impurities. Our pots will magnify everything by 10, the good and the bad. Uh, so it's a big chart, big part of my job to make sure that what goes in that still is actually what I want it to be. Um, we're basically, we're, we're steam fed. Um, we're bringing these things up to a boil. We've got a really short stocky helmet on there, um, which basically holds as much of that true the fruit essence as we possibly can. Um, we bring it over and, and actually do a little bit colder temperature than what you'd see on most uh, bourbon distilleries. Uh, my product's actually coming off the pot at about 65 degrees, mm -hmm. uh, which is all, about 20 degrees cooler than what you see most bourbons. Um, but yeah, it's just a lot more hands-on. It's when you actually look at these pots, uh, they're a little bit bigger than what you kind of see in some of the old style, um, you know, hillbilly uh, illustrations and stuff. Um, but they're very, very basic distillation. Right. You know, so uh, in one of our previous conversations, they talked a little bit about the fact that they hate shows like Moonshiners and things like that because it over glorifies kind of what's going on in those backwood areas or do things like that bother you or do, are, are you a fan of like just hey go out you know practice I, I know it's not legal but you know what's your feeling behind that piece as well no I, I'm not a fan of go out and practice kind of deal um, 
you need a little bit of guidance. You, you need some knowledge. Uh, this stuff will kill you if you're not making your cuts right, you're not separating it. Um, that being said, the Moonshiner show has definitely sparked up some interesting conversations between me and some tour guests. Um, I'm always about that. You know, anytime somebody can get interested in the spirit business and, you know, wants to talk about distillation, I, I can't help but get excited. Um, it doesn't really matter, you know, where they got their base from. I just like chit chat about it. Um, and I've met a couple of those guys, super nice guys, very, very laid back. Um, so yeah. Um, really like the process, not so much on cooking in your backyard if you don't know what's going on. Um, you know, it is what it is. I'm glad you said that. You know, it's one of those funny things. To me, I, I was a home brewer for, for many years, and I'm not doing it as much as I want because, honestly, now you can find such really good beer on, on the shelf, yeah. whereas, you know, 15 years ago you just couldn't. So uh, it's kind of cool whenever you can sit back and look at how everything's progressed, and I really think that's where we've gone in bourbon or craft spirits and brandy and all those things is now that there's just so much variety because of the number of distilleries and, and micro brewers and micro distilleries that are out there. So one of the things that, that I find interesting about here, because this is the first time I've been on this location, is I'm, we're staring out at the new soccer stadium that's sitting right at literally your, your back door. Yeah, so right now we're on the third floor in the back room of Alexander, which is our brandy bar and restaurant. Um, and we're looking out the back window, yeah, to the new FC Louisville uh, soccer stadium. We are so excited about this coming, uh, both the men's and women's team. Uh, we are going to hopefully be the official, uh, or maybe the unofficial uh, tailgate party for all the games. Uh, we're gonna do pig roast and we're gonna have beers and cocktails on taps and all kinds of cool stuff so as people are coming and going to the game um, it's kind of hard not to see the big orange building behind it uh, so we're hoping for really really big things in butcher town and for copper and kings so what that makes me think that the grow there's going to be a lot of growth potential here so do, we hope does, so does the facility here um, is it going to be able to handle all that additional growth that, that, that will come when that opens up? 100%. We have a huge courtyard out front. Um, we have a, a few taps out front. Uh, we've just built a, a great big entertaining barn. Um, there's a full-service kitchen out there that we can use for events. Um, I think we're more than equipped to, to deal with this new sport coming into Louisville. That's great news. Yeah, it, to me, that's, that's what makes Louisville great is the fact that we've got so much that's available now and 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 when you go to something like that where it's going to be the soccer or whether it was you know before at the bats game or whatever everything is so close down here and the proximity gives you just such a great location and space for that you know louisville's big enough to where there's always something to do there's a lot of it's drawing a lot of new people and a lot of new businesses but it still has that downtown feel i mean you know most parts of the day you can get from one end of the town to the other and, and relatively fast um, it's a very walkable city um, they're doing a lot to clean up the the entire view and the whole atmosphere. Um, it's a cool cool time to be in Louisville. Um, you know, I'm a Kentucky boy, so I've kind of always been around. Uh, you know, back in the day, Louisville was uh, a little rough, um, but now I, it's been absolutely amazing what the mayor and the city council has done. Um, I love being here. Yeah, I mean, even this even this small little square block right here. I mean, you've got Work the Metal right across the street. You've got Butchertown Grocery, Lola's Play. I mean, all these things. Yeah, things kinda, are really hopping. You they kind of blew up just and ever since you guys came. I mean, it you kind of were the center stone for that, which is awesome to see that happen. I'm really sad to see Butcher, Butchertown Pizza go away, though. Oh, no, that was a great lunch oh. spot. Oh, it oh. killed us when, when they left. One uh, of my favorite lunch spots. Oh, where are you going to get pizza from now? Yeah. 
Good yeah. question. <laughs> I, Pizza Lupo's down the road, and I guess somebody else is out there. I saw them uh, put in some new uh, equipment yesterday. They were hauling into that building. So Good I'm assuming yeah, I Good hear that possibly maybe, yeah. So you mentioned restaurant and bar and the whole nine yards. So what is Copper and Kings, the restaurant, known for? Whew. Honestly, they probably brandy drinks. Brandy, brandy drinks. <laughs> in my opinion, we probably got one of the best burgers uh, in town. It is absolutely delicious. Um, but Alexander's a good, um, best known for like a good low key um, after work spot to kind of swing in, uh, get some delicious uh, Southern style food. Um, Dallas McGarty is our, our chef. Um, absolutely fantastic chef, um, but it's a very low-key atmosphere. It's very quiet. It's very intimate. Um, the cocktails are absolutely amazing. The food is delicious, um, and it's a very localized, friendly feel as well. Right, and the, I assume you're all doing tons of different craft drinks, whether it be you know the, whatever craft cocktails. Probably more like farm to table because of the fact that you're here. It's constantly changing. Yes, everything is brandy based, so we're not you know just a typical bar. Um, we basically built this bar to showcase what brandy can do. Uh, there are a few spirits behind the bar that are not ours, um, but they're mainly made just for uh, splits and things on that nature. We are a brandy focused bar. And, and I meant to ask you earlier, and I, so I just remembered the question because I didn't have my notes here in front of me, but. Uh, you mentioned table apples versus the variety of apples that you use to make brandy mm -hmm. with and things like that. So what are some of the varieties of apples that you would use to make brandy? You're obviously probably not using galas or... No, I mean, you know, really most of the varieties that we're using are, are numbered varieties. Um, some of them are coming out of the University of Michigan um, and a lot of them are just sharp and semi-sharp culinary varieties. Um, and it honestly, it changes quite a bit um, depending upon the beginning of the year versus, you know, April or May, um, when we're kind of dealing with some of the cold storage apples, um, it'll switch from variety to variety. Uh, that's why, why I use so many. Um, I try to do at least 15, and then we blend all of those apples together um, before fermentation. We're one of the few places in the United States that actually does that. Um, and then we, we make that as a, a one cider juice, um, and it's basically designed to kind of replicate an heirloom cider at a much more uh, economical price, I hmm. guess. Have you looked into doing something crazy like with pineapple or did you just ask pear? him if he looked into doing something crazy <laughs> have you seen the collaboration <laughs> well, no, I, mean, no, I, mean, well, no, I mean but like he's 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 been really loyal to what no, what, I mean, what he's good at right yeah. like he's great at grapes he's great with apple you know are, are there other fruits that are out there because so i've got some peach in the works um i've got some pear in the works um on my hit list, apricots is probably really, really up there. Um, that's some of the best brandy I've actually run across. Um, I was down in New Orleans uh, several years ago for the Tales of the Cocktail, and this guy walks up to me and said, have you ever had apricot brandy? And I was like, yeah, but it's been a while. And he reaches down and pulls a, a small pint out of the side of his boot, and we, you know, we end up sitting there having a couple drinks in the back of this bar. One of two things could have happened there. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> you know. I'm always up for an adventure, though, so it's all right. That's not the first time I've drank something out of a stranger's boot. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of really started the apricot thing, um, you know, and then we grow a, a few blackberries here in the state and a few blueberries. So, you know, eventually I'd like to do some small batches like that. Um, I still feel like I'm still trying to wrangle the grape and the apple deal down. There's a lot more to learn. Um, but yeah, if it's, if it's got sugar in it and the yeast will eat it, I'll ferment it and uh, we'll distill it. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. It, like I said, I, I just like to think of just different things and 
to me, like I, I've had a lot of great like pineapple ciders or pineapple meads or you know different things like that. So for me, it's like one of those things. So, so I have. What are you doing different? You know, uh, what are you? What are you, What's the next on the crazy list? We do have a, a, a brandy downstairs that was a tropical, um, and it was a blend of guava, mango, banana, kiwi, and orange. Um, we'll try to taste that after this podcast. Absolutely. If you guys yeah. Would like. I mean, hey, we're uh, we're done right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not quite sure what we're gonna do with it yet it was just a, a weird project we we're just like you know we had a bunch of questions and not enough answers so we threw a bunch of this in the pot um it, t- it came out off the still very very interesting and complicated um and to be honest i've not tasted it in about eight months so um we'll kind of see what she tastes like together good deal uh, on our recap show we'll make sure we talk there you about go yeah i want to bring back that around <laughs> i can't wait to hear what the recap show sounds like <laughs> Tubby, can you put subtitles in for the (laughs) recap show? Well, it depends on how much we've had to drink (laughs) on that day. Um, So, (laughs) so the 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 store out front, you're talking about all the expansion. You have the opportunity to um, have parties and facilities, and uh, it even looks like you could probably even have like a small wedding here. We do a lot of weddings, bar mitzvahs, all kinds of stuff, man. So tell us a little bit more about that piece, so that way people know, hey, Copper and Kings is not just to come in and tour, we're not just to come in and have a burger. Tell us a little bit more about all the things that you can do here. So we like to party and entertain just as much as we like to make spirits. We are just as serious about that. There's at least two to three events going on at the distillery um, every week. Uh, There is a lot of space you can come in and rent out for uh, private events, both being outside and inside. Um, you can do private events up here at Alexander, you know, if, if the day is right. Um, yeah, we just like to have a good time. Um, we are very low key. Um, you know, the boss and I show up in, in jeans and t-shirts and I wear overalls every day, so nobody's very fancy. Um, but it's a pretty expansive little campus we have here. Um, it's a nice little oasis in, in the middle of Louisville. Um, you're close enough to kind of Uber and go wherever you want, but you know, kind of once you walk into the gates, uh, you're in, on your own little island. Um, we can have a, a hell of a party with several hundred people here and everybody has plenty of space to kind of move around. One of the other things I really love about this place and just kind of walking around the campus and looking is the sheer number of rail cars that are here, <laughs> like the 40, 40 foot containers and things. T- tell us a little bit, of, what, what was the inspiration behind that? Did you have anything to do with that or was that just strictly the owners? I, I can't say I had anything to do with it personally. Um, you know, back when we started building Copper and Kings, you know, the world was going through a, a bit of a recession. Um, there were a lot of these old storage containers that were around and really not having anything done with them. Um, the boss and the boss's wife especially, uh, she is very, very much environmentally conscious. Um, so anytime that we could do something local or repurpose something to kind of give us a little pizzazz and, you know, you know, recycle, you know, reuse, um, we were all about. Um, so yeah, the storage containers were just a nice way to kind of show, you know, let's not destroy the earth as, you know, as much as we can. Um, and then we also have a butterfly garden out front. You know, the monarch butterfly is uh, soon to be an endangered species. Um, you know, we try to use this as a little uh, way stop, so to speak, for the monarch to kind of come in and hang out. Uh, we also have a couple of uh, beehives out front that I take care of, uh, amateur uh, beekeeper as well. Um, so, you know, we're trying to make it as small of a footprint as possible while, while, you know, having a good time and giving back. Do I smell meat in the future? I hope so. The problem with the mead deal is it takes so much honey to make the mead that I end up just eating it before uh, you know it I actually turn it into alcohol. It does, and it, and it is it's 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 almost like a 
a distilled spirit. I mean, it takes a long time it, it does. for it to get right. It takes a very long time. I've made a few batches, man. We, I love a good batch. Scott's saying he'd be more than happy to help. <laughs> a- absolutely. I, I will get the ginger, and we will get Let's we'll, make we'll it get happen. Crazy, let's let's do some something. Ginger mead. I'm, I'm all about some mead. <laughs> so. That's a lost art. Um, it really I, is. I keep thinking it's going to like do a, a little bit of resurgence, and every now and then you'll hear a couple guys kind of start it. But um, it's not really given the respect that I think it deserves. New Day is really the only people that I know of in a, in the tri-state area that yeah. really are, are kind of doing it. And, and they're and they're doing theirs fast. So, I mean, we're not getting the full effect of what we could really get from them, but it's still just a damn tasty product. Yeah. I think there's a new meadery up in uh, Odom County, Hyven Barrel, maybe. Uh, Joel, uh, guy was the brewmaster at uh, Goodwood. Okay. I think he started one. Oh, I didn't I've know not that. had his product yet, but I hear great things. Well, I'm going to have uh, to go out there and try it. Yeah, check him out. I think we're going to do a cross collaboration between him and uh, Copper and King soon. We'll as meet well. you out there. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Please do. So, hey, we're, we're running up on about 45 minutes. Uh, we appreciate your time is there anything else you would like to talk about or cover with us today guys i think we covered most everything i really do appreciate y'all coming uh for everybody listening please come see me um come say hello i'm super informal love to talk about this stuff um let's get into some barrels and have something to drink hey, we Absolutely. appreciate your time yeah, yeah. awesome it's been guys. great and if, if people want to reach you or if they want to come to copper and kings tell them how to get in touch with you whether it's uh, facebook whatever uh, best way to get in touch with me you know i'm on a uh, facebook and instagram email address is brandon at copperandkings.com um, honestly though the best way to get a hold of me is to swing here at the distillery I'm here every day just about what's the address uh, we are at 1111 East Washington Street here in Louisville Kentucky hey you guys this is a beautiful facility come out and visit Copper and Kings Brandon is super super cordial and has been great to us and uh, we hope you all come out and enjoy if you want to reach us at Bourbon Barrel Talk you can reach us at bourbonbarreltalk at gmail.com or you can hit us up on email Instagram or Twitter Thanks so much for for having us out today, Brandon, and have a great day. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thanks.